Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is always uh, fun to have you join in, and uh, we appreciate it. And uh, it's uh, really fun to make this, uh, to have this broadcast have become the the way many mortgage professionals are getting their information. It's really an honor that you have made this your way of getting information. There's many great sources. I've got Rob Crispin's uh, article up here. I'm reference it here in a little bit. His blog that he writes daily, really well done. So much fun to read his stuff, and a good guy, and does a great job. But we're here to discuss what's going on in the industry. Again, this is a broadcast created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals. We're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. We're very glad to have that. Today's hot topic is going to be housing and credit standards. Should they be loosened? If so, how? If not, why? And we've got our special guest again, backed by popular demand, Logan Motoshami. Uh, out of Southern California, and uh, I hope he's got enough cup of coffee because we've got a lot of people really interesting and interested in this discussion that we have. This last week, uh, the Joe Biden, President Vice President Joe Biden, and Julian Castro, uh, Secretary of HUD, were out uh, again promoting uh, home ownership for low-income families, encouraging lenders to "quote unquote" loosen credit standards, and so. I got called by Fox Business to go on, so I did a segment on it. You can go to our website, look at lending, uh, click on the link. You'll see that segment I did. It was a very, very short segment. <laughs> like they said, the producer wrote me back and said, we had too many guests for too short of a segment. You didn't really get to get make your points really well, and we didn't want wasn't as good substantive discussion as we'd like, but it was good to get it kicked off. So we're going to take that discussion and take it forward today because we have got, even within our regulars, various opinions as to what should be done and how to go about it. So, folks, it's going to be a great discussion. I think the reason I made this, I didn't think, I know the reason I decided to put this up on today's broadcast was this. Number one, I was surprised at how many lenders wrote me and said, Dave, no, 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 we want to loosen credit standards. And I go, is that responsible? And it's, it seems like a rhetorical question and because a lot of people are interested in getting more business rather than doing responsible lending. And so um, that's why we have the CFPB in this mix anyway as a result of this whole mess. So good discussion. I guarantee you're going to enjoy it. So stay tuned all the way to the and through the Hot Topic segment here in the second half of the broadcast. We have got to say a special thank. Don't have to. We want to say a special thank you to United Lending. Excuse me, United Guarantee. United Lending is my old company. Boy, that's a blast for the past. United Guarantee. It just happens that they are, again, for the fourth consecutive year, the mortgage industry, the mortgage insurance leader, industry leader. So congratulations to them for that. I want to call their, your attention, uh, listeners, to their day one protection and full file submission. Uh, do, are you aware that there's a full file underwriting that United Guarantee delivers you certainty uh, from a from a mortgager, you can submit a loan to United Guarantee for a full file review, and have a immediate recession recession recession. Excuse me, I keep saying recession recession protection from the date of closing, and you provided accurate uh, information, and you were uh, it provided you provide the accurate information. You have protection from day one. Also, 
there is a full file review has a it comes at no additional cost and it's always guaranteed to be done within 24 hours. Their service is what's really leading them in the industry, and I encourage you to connect with your local United Guarantee representative. Also, you can learn more about their day one service by going to www.ugcorp.com forward slash day one mortgage insurance is underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Mortgage Insurance Company. We also say a special thank you to Velma, Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They do a great job getting the word out about our broadcast each and every day. And if you want a word put out about your products, your services, something you're doing that's unique, and you have a database of people that are that you can send these out to, it's a great way to stay in touch with your customers, keep yourself in touch with what's going on, Keep your customers informed of what's going on in the market and keep them tied to you. We don't have the best record track record listeners of having repeat business, and it's because we're not using services like Velma. I recommend Velma. We use it, and so I can't get say enough good about what they do. The, the level of service they provide and the advice they give is excellent. Upcoming MBA conferences this week, starting today, we have the state and local workshop. That's going on at the Capitol Hilton, followed immediately right after that, the 14th to 15th of this week, the National Advocacy Conference. Then May 3rd through the 6th, we have the Legal Issues and Regulatory Compliance Conference. That's going on. And the Chicago uh, Sheraton uh, Hill, Holton, excuse me, the Sheraton Chicago Hotel and Towers, uh, that's where that's at. And then the National Secondary Conference at the New York Marriott Marquis, that's May 17th through the 20th. Man, I'm having trouble with the dates today. Anyway, it's good to have you all with us. Joe Fart, what's going on in the markets? Hey, Dave. Uh, today's a good day. We're up uh, 4.30 seconds so far and uh, just kind of drifting higher. No new news. Uh, started out the morning on a, a little below where we ended the day on Friday, but uh, have since recovered all that and then some. Any sense for why we have no economic data today? So no. any sense of why that is? You know, we had we had a bit of a drop off on Friday, and maybe it just a little overdone. So we're getting some of that back. Yeah, well, we got uh, some stuff coming up. We're going to talk about it, but let's go into last week. Uh, okay. It wasn't a lot of data there, but what was there was pretty pretty interesting. So, well, it, it, we had uh, we had a little bit of data, and we really saw some pretty sig- uh, not significant, but. Uh, enough movement intraday to cause there to be a need for repricing just about every day last week. Not big ones, but just uh, you know, just enough, uh, uh, you know, an eighth to a, to a quarter price change. And did see a number of days with unfavorable and a couple of days with favorable price changes. So, and, and the two key components of economic news that came out last week were the uh, Jolts report and the Fed minutes. So. Uh, looking at the Jolts report first, it was um, a, a favorable report. Especially, it was favorable considering the uh, disappointing jobs report that came out just uh, just last Friday. Um, well, the Friday before last week. Yeah. The, the Jolts report yeah. did show the Jolts report showed one five point uh, one million job openings, and that's the highest level since two thousand and one. Uh, it also showed yeah, that quits, quits are voluntary separations, and they're kind of a sign of confidence in the marketplace and the, uh, the confidence that you can get a better job. The quits remained at what's close to the highest levels in seven years. So uh, the Jolts report showed a little different picture of the job market than what the um, mm-hmm. non-farm payrolls report showed, and and. 
as a result of this, I think people shifted uh, a little of what they saw as weakness from that Friday non-farm payrolls report uh, a little away from weakness and toward maybe it was transitory. Uh, the Fed prefers uh, or talks about transitory issues and uh, you've heard them all by now, but the low price of oil, the high value, the high value of the dollar, and the unusually bad weather uh, uh, may have had an influence, a significant influence on that jobs report. So uh, we'll see, I guess. Then also, all right, the other significant issue were the Fed minutes. Uh, the Fed minutes came out on Wednesday, and there really no big surprises in that, Dave. The the one thing that stood out a bit was that in the discussion about when to raise, start raising the Fed funds rate, several of the uh, members suggested they ought to do it in June, which was um, yeah. earlier than that what a lot of people had thought. Yeah, and then the, the diversity. Some said 2016 we should wait right. until we get into 2000. So that that's what probably these minutes revealed that were most interesting is the diversity as to when to start hiking rates. So. That's so, right. What do we take That's from right. that? Just lots of indecision. Uh, and no one's gonna, yeah. yeah. It, it, it just watch the data. You know, they've always said mm -hmm. it's uh, going to be data dependent. And, you know, subsequent to the minutes, people were coming out saying just that. You know, the weak jobs report, a number of weaker than expected economic reports followed the March 18th meeting. And, uh, yeah, you know, the the those some of those same governors are saying, you know, maybe uh, June's off the table now, but uh, they have pushed it out a little bit. Well, it is interesting to see how different ones have a, a sense of we've we've been too involved. The Fed policy has been too accommodative, and then others saying, no, let's let's we're in it. Let's stay here for a while. So it'll be fun, it's fun to get. Yeah. We've got Logan's thoughts on that. We'll get his thoughts on that. I mean, he could throw that his two cents into it later in the broadcast, but that's that yeah, was an interesting report uh, compared to the non-farm payroll numbers the, the Friday before. So, yeah, but with a lot of other information, some other information came out that was also interesting. Well, the, the Treasury auctions were were met with tepid demand. Uh, the the first two, including the 10-year, just received average demand, and the 30-year really had weak demand, and that that uh, that demand for higher yields on the 30-year helped push mortgage rate yields a little bit higher late in the week, and uh, uh, so you know at some point people are going to say it's just too low. Yeah, got to have more yield. They're yield hungry this week. Got a pretty busy calendar. Yeah, we do. Uh, it starts tomorrow with retail sales, and that'll be a big report. You know, we've seen three months in a row with declining retail sales. And most people have attributed that to weather, uh, you know, especially after you take out the the, uh, the mm -hmm. auto sales and and the consequence of declining oil prices. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, tomorrow. We'll get a we'll get a sense of was it weather because uh, the consensus calls for about a seven tenth increase in retail sales, excluding auto. Uh, and, and that would show a real nice recovery and would indicate that uh, a good bit of the weakness in retail sales was weather-related. Also, tomorrow, PPI comes out. You know, no, no surprises expected there, especially on the core. Uh, both those come out at 8.30 tomorrow, so you'll know something early in the morning. Industrial production comes out on Wednesday, along with Empire State Index, Philly Fed, and housing starts on Thursday, and then CPI coming comes out on Friday. So it is a pretty busy week. 
it is going to be a busy week. Uh, we'll just I keep looking at all this economic data. It just continues to roll out, and the feds are looking at it. So it's fun to have this service that you provide. I think it's such a valuable tool because you're, you're stating what's on the calendar. You're stating what, at least what's pertinent to mortgage, most likely to drive mortgage rates, and then you give a graph as to where things are at, and that's real time. A lot of people say, well, that's 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 a lagging. Well, that's pretty close to real time. And you that is that, real time. It, that is a real-time graph. I mean, a lot of people, so some of you naysayers, that's real-time stuff. You heard it right from Joe. <laughs> and I've, I've looked at some different ones, and I, I see it as. it's Other services click. You're clicking right there with it. So very affordable for the amount of information you have. Appreciate it, Joe. Looking forward to having you participate you in the Hot Topics segment as we get into some of these things and uh, get some of Logan's ideas. Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Appreciate you tuning in, as you do each and every week. For many of you, there's a lot of people dialed into today's broadcast. It's just a lot of folks. Appreciate you listening in by the phone, holding that there the whole time, hopefully on speakerphone. All right, let's get into talking about what's going on at IMF News. Paul Malo is on spring break. Paul, wish you a successful, happy, relaxing spring break. Hope you're having, you're off, having some fun somewhere. Uh, I want to bring you quickly up to date on some of the items that are leaping across the page uh, or off the page at me at their website. Again, check it out, www.insidemortgagefinance.com. IMFnews.com is the uh, – so just put in www.imfnews.com. It'll bring it up. Anyway, the mortgage brokers increased their market share of GSE production. That's John Bancroft. He's got an article on that. That isn't really interesting because it's increased 16%. I found that fascinating. It's an article there. Um, Tom Tom wrote an article. Thomas wrote an article. Lenders, uh, top lenders will accelerate their closing processes um, as they're getting ready for TRID. So that's always lots of TRID news. The, again, uh, lots of stuff that's on here. First-time home buyers more likely to be influenced uh, than other home buyers on lender selection. That's Brandon Ivey's uh, comment. In the short takes, they got the consolidation among the GSE sellers. That's no surprise to us. A lot of consolidation through M&A taking place. And then um, House to vote on the points and fees bill. Alice will be talking a little bit about some. I'd love to get Alice's thoughts on that. That's coming up. But uh, check out the website at www.imfnews.com. So, God, lots flying at my screen here. I'm a little distracted at the moment, so I look at all this stuff. Anyway, Paul, we wish you a great uh, spring break. 
And let's roll over to Alice. Alice is mobile this week. She has t- called me. I'm just getting off the plane. Don't know if I'm going to be on the call. Now I'm in a taxi. Now I'm in a hotel room. And so <laughs> mobile, Alice, good to have you with us. And um, Alice, I know because of all the travel, you, I want to get real quickly an update what you thought, what my MF News is talking about. With, are you aware of what the House is voting on, on the points and fees? I know that's a bill that we've talked about. Any thoughts on that? Well, I have to do a little more digging, but the bill that's been out there is one that would um, help alleviate some of the pain on the QM points and fees calculation for things like the broker compensation. So, you know, um, I always like to read the most recent version that's hitting the floor, but if uh, we can get some positive movement on the bill that's been out there, then that would just be a good thing for the industry. So I will follow up and we'll have more details next week. On that topic. Yeah, that's good. Well, I want yeah, on that topic. The one topic that I want to really get your thoughts on today had to do with a phone call I received late last week or last week, and I didn't get it in time to get it on last week's broadcast. But there is a series of conference calls and webinars coming up, put on by Becky Walzak, and and she is doing it. Uh, at, and you can learn more about it by going to uh, www.mortgagetrueview.com. Mortgage true t-r-u-e view.com and then look for the sign up for our qc working session so this is um a free it is for uh, anyone in the qc world that to to listen to what we're about to talk about and debate this so we're going to kick it off on this broadcast but here's what the story is there's a lawsuit that's pending between uh wells fargo and the federal government the federal government is suing wells fargo but what's unique about this lawsuit is they have named kurt Le, uh, Lefran- Lefrano. Lefrano is uh, Le- yeah Le- I want to make sure I'm saying that right. Couldn't read my own writing. Um, and they have included him on that. Now I have not had a chance to research what his position is there, but Alex, it it if you have a QC manager in the normal course of doing their QC job, that uh, and they said the this individual Kurt Lefrano should have reported these findings to HUD, and he didn't, and because he didn't, he is being named in this lawsuit personally. And where is the where is the appropriate time? I think of it as a business owner. If I'm a president of a company and I have my QC person, and uh, I, I always think, gosh, did I pay him enough money? Maybe are they disgruntled in some way? But the thought of a disgruntled QC person being able to pick up the phone and basically be a whistleblower on my company over a normal QC process, just that's my first response. It terrifies me. And it just seems like naming him is going to put QC managers in a compromised position of do I need, am I going to personally be sued if I don't pick up the phone or forward this these findings to the federal government? Your thoughts? Well, I, first of all, I want to give everybody, you know, this has been around since November, right? So Wells Fargo and Vice President, uh, Kurt Lafrano was a vice president, and according to HUD, played a critical role in helping the bank hide fraudulent home loans that cost the U.S. government $189 million in claims. So uh, names aside and just the company aside, the topic is, or the, the question to ask is, 
as a compliance officer, am I the one who is supposed to be a whistleblower? Am I the one who's supposed to report to HUD? And I think a couple of things. If I'm the top person and my company in their corporate documents says, you are the compliance officer, or uh, in a hierarchy, you are the person named to HUD, that you're the compliant quality control person who's going to have to report the information to us, then yet yeah, you have an obligation to report. Now, if you're a next layer down manager, which is a VP at a large company, I'm sure there's a thousand of those, you're at a level where you're saying, I have a choice. If I see fraud going on or lack of reporting going on to agencies, right, I see a problem in, the, in my FHA process, we'll just use that as an example, and I'm supposed to report that to FHA, and I tell my senior managers, hey, this is what's supposed to get reported. And my senior managers go, we don't think so. We think that this isn't severe enough yet. Uh, we think we have room to try and handle this problem ourselves, and we don't need to report it. If I'm that that manager, I'm I'm in a position to go, do I want to keep my job so I can keep food on the table for my family and a roof over my head so I'm trapped or I quit because I don't agree or I whistleblow, which means I'm probably going to lose my job anyway in the meantime and end up with huge lawyer bills. I mean, this is something that every compliance manager, I agree, should, first of all, if you get yourself in that situation, call a lawyer. That's the first place to start. Here's what I've found at my company. What am I obligated to do? What do I need to do? And, and, and make sure that you're covered. And be aware, when you go to be a compliance officer at a company, yeah, these are the shoes you could end up with, or, or a quality control manager if you're in charge of underwriting. So it's, uh, it's really, a very, it's, I think, yeah. it, it's so a you, very, you, very difficult. There is a responsibility. I, I think and, you and have a responsibility to report, right. You have a responsibility to report to the next layer up. You need to know if you're that top layer that's supposed to be reporting to HUD. But And this is a heads up for everybody. I, there is already precedence where HUD goes after, like, the lack of the underwriter who doesn't have the right quality, who's, who they believe is involved in fraud, or the manager, uh, you know, three layers down in a large corporation who is allowing a procedure to happen that they know is in complete violation of HUD guidelines. And a, an older example on a case people might be familiar with is a 43 million dollar case where you know the managers were letting anybody sign off on FHA appraisals which you know is not acceptable you have to be a DE underwriter so uh, I, mm -hmm. yeah it is a heads up to everybody you're, if you're in those roles and you're making decisions you have an obligation to follow the agency policy and sometimes that's do I want to keep my job if I'm at a company that won't follow it so uh, we may have to get some more uh, think about this to provide guidance. Uh, we're not private guiding. Provide commentary so people can pull from this commentary in our discussion yeah. on this. I think we may want to do another whole hot topic segment. So when are those boundaries? What are the what are the things that people should be thinking about? How should they approach it? Because there are enough companies out there that are uh, skirting some of the issues out there, and that's why we have the CFPB. And I think. That, that that brings you to a like you said a real difficult choice. Do I quit and look for a new job? Well, I'm I'm a single mom. I'm taking care of this or single parent, whether mom or dad, uh, taking care of kids. And if I lose my job, my kids are not going to eat. That puts these kids. And I think the thing that I have the biggest issue with is if you're a senior person and you have this responsible responsibility, and your company's told you not to. Once that's one story, but if you're down in the rank and file and you're seeing things and there's a potential risk of you being um, 
being named in a lawsuit, suffering law, I mean, uh, legal fees yourself. Most likely your company will cover them, but uh, it really puts you in a tough place. You could end up in the LDP list, and there are people, limited denial participation. There are people that have ended up on the LDP list, Alice, as you and I were talking about before the broadcast, yeah. without naming any names or any companies, that basically were down, and, and, and it, my heart goes out to those. Uh, yeah. It just feels now, like the federal government attorney. is overreaching. Yeah, so I would love to do a show, maybe get somebody like Phil Schulman on the show, right? Because, you know, there's good, long-standing yeah. folks who know FHA, who knows what goes on with them. And uh, so, yeah, I think that would be a great follow-up so people kind of know, well, where are my boundaries? How bad does the problem get that I'm aware of where I'll, now I am culpable, right? Uh, even yeah. if I do quit, you know. Well, it's an interesting discussion. We're going to cover a little bit more when we get to the Profit Doctor segment because CFP, C, CFOs have this responsibility clearly, and I just didn't realize that it had gone so far down into the compliance area. So we'll get uh, the Profit Doctor, Andy Shell's thoughts on that in just a minute. Alice, thank you so much for um, giving us your thoughts on this. I think it's an important topic. I think people, if you want to learn more about it, head over to the website, Mortgage True View. And click on the left-hand side. There's a sign-up for our QC working sessions. It's a, a topic, and what they're covering this week is this very thing. So there'll be a lot of discussion on it. And uh, Becky Walzek, who I know personally and professionally, a very knowledgeable gal, very good at this topic, will be sharing her thoughts. She's very concerned about this, very, very concerned about it. this. Is this going to set a precedence that's going to cause for problems in our industry as we move forward? So check it out when we go there. Let us get over. I'm on, well, let's take a quick ad break, and then I want to get over to uh, uh, get Sam Garcia on and then the Profit Doctor. So, folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Good to have you with us, everybody. I want to bring on Sam Garcia. Sam is uh, up in the Dallas area. He has a great uh, website, MortgageDaily.com. Check it out. And, Sam, what's the things that you're tracking here? Good to have you with us up there, my friend. <laughs> Thanks for Both having me. Us a bit. Yeah, i um, got lots of good news uh, this week. Um, starting off with we saw that uh, there was there was a decline in mortgage activity last week based on our mortgage market index which we produce with data from uh, optimal blue we saw that there was a seven percent decline um, and what was interesting is that the purchased uh, financing activity uh, was was down for the third consecutive week so it kind of was a little bit uh, weaker than some of the other ones uh, as far as uh, moving uh, week to week uh, Freddie Mac put out a uh, new forecast this month uh, for originations, and basically um, it indicates that refinances during the first half of this year are going to be $346 billion. And that's a big bump from uh, last month when Freddie Mac uh, projected that refinances probably would come in about $309 billion. And we're getting those numbers based on total origination uh, forecasted by Freddie and the refinance share that it puts out. Um, over at Quicken Loans, 
Quicken is hiring 1,000 people for its Detroit location. Of course, that's where it's uh, based out of. And uh, those jobs will add to what it already has in Detroit, which is 10,000 employees in the city there. So making a deeper commitment for that city. Over at First Horizon, uh, there was a FHA settlement announced. Basically, you know, First Horizon sold off most of its mortgage operations back in 2008 to MetLife. Uh, but it's still having to deal with some of these loans that have been uh, either yeah. originated by its own. Uh, it still has a mortgage operation, First Tennessee Bank, uh, or you know, from what before it sold. And what we found is that um, it, it has to pay 213 million dollar, uh, 213 million dollars for this particular settlement that it's paying on behalf of, uh, or as a result of loans that it underwrote and originated that were FHA insured from 2006 to 2008 and that had a claim filed by April. Um, another story here is we see that First Financial Bank out of Abilene, Texas, uh, announced last week that it's agreed to acquire Ford Trust Mortgage, which is out of Fort Worth. And just to give you a little perspective, Ford Trust Mortgage uh, reports that it originated $175 million in loans last year. Um, we see that uh, the FHA's uh, council uh, general counsel actually went to Nevada to speak before the Nevada legislature. And what we got going here is a Senate Bill 306 in the state, which uh, centers around these super priority lanes. And what's happening in Nevada, uh, and it's not the only state, is that homeowners associations have been able to uh, basically foreclose on their small lien and then uh, wipe out the first mortgage. It's a pretty serious situation. Yeah. One case uh, that we reported on where there was a $6,000 uh, homeowner association debt that was foreclosed and an $885,000 first mortgage was wiped out as a result. So um, they're trying to get rain in that activity because, you know, there's obviously things that will happen uh, as far as lending goes in, in that state if, if uh, they're oh, yeah. unable to, uh, to collect on those or have their liens wiped out. Um, there's a there was a settlement announced last week uh, with the CFPB and RMK Financial. Uh, the company is accused of using advertising that were allegedly deceived consumers into believing that the company was affiliated with the U.S. government. Um, home equity delinquency was down last in the fourth quarter. The American Bankers Association reported that a 30-day home equity home equity delinquency fell a basis point from the third quarter to 3.23 percent. And HELOC delinquency was down four basis points to 1.48%. And finally, uh, one other note we had was that the founders of FBC Mortgage out of Orlando, Florida, uh, are buying the company back from uh, Stern AG. So uh, mm. they gave, gave yeah. it a shot, and now they're going back alone. So, And that, That's that wraps up all of our help. news here. Well, thank you so much, Sam. It's always interesting to see the ebbs and flows on these M&A deals. Some deals get picked up, and then people, and or they join a group, and then they go out back on their own or whatever, go go public and then go private. And uh, always fascinating to see how that flows back and forth. Always a lot of that activity. Lots of good and, information and, you know, here. Quick, and uh, quick, quick and Loans was a, a great example of that, where he sold it off to yeah. uh, into it and then came back and you know it's a star player and now one of the biggest originators out there that are private non-banks yeah yeah so there's some great examples of it so yeah i can give you lots of others too but that's a good good report thank you so much sam appreciate it thank you dave appreciate it 
always fun to have you on. Have a great week, my friend. Stay warm up there. At least we're getting some decent weather here back here in Texas again. So Yeah, that's for sure. It pulls across. <laughs> All right, man. Let's go over to the Prophet Doctor. And uh, Prophet Doctor, you all, you and I always talk, and it's, it's always fun to see which side of issue. Because about the time you zig left, I zig right. About the time I zig <laughs> left, you zig right. And so we are always we're counterbalancing. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I know... Uh, you have a lot of thought we're going to get into, but I want to get your thoughts back on some comments Alice was making about, uh, re- you know, the responsibilities QC individuals have, QC managers have to reporting, and we know, I think everyone knows, it's understood that CFOs do. They have a clear responsibility, um, but I'm I was I was taken back a little bit by the government's action taking and actually suing. Uh, Kurt Frano, uh, Lafrano on this one. So that one just kind of hit me by surprise. Do you want to get your thoughts on it? Well, if you think back on a couple of instances that both you and I have experienced in our in our lifetime, I I got fired for telling the truth when an investor asked a question, and you got fired for telling the truth when the board yep. asked about the deployment of a technology product. So if you're yep. in a situation where someone's doing something wrong and you clearly have an obligation to say something about it. And if you're a mid-level manager and you tell your boss and then your boss does nothing about it, that, that's a tough situation because you probably need to document that you told your boss. And as you formally documented that you told your boss, that's going to create waves and then the waves lead to typhoons. And so it's a, a very unfortunate <laughs> set of circumstances that yeah. you'll find yourself in and it rarely ends well. So hopefully you're working with a company who, if they're doing something wrong and sees it, will fix it. And frankly, you wouldn't want to work for a company that didn't fix something when they were seeing something that was wrong. Someone who flagrantly disregards the rules is not a place where you want to work anyway. So that's, that's kind of right. the, short, the shorter answer to that, Dave. What are we yeah. everybody? I, gotta, oh, go ahead. Yes. Sorry. No, you go ahead. I agree. I was just saying I agree with you. It's it, and you and I both have taken the right, the high, the high road, and ended up without a job uh, because we were we were straight up. And it, those are tough decisions, but it really defines who you are at the end. And uh, the companies will be found out. It's what you do personally. All right, go on, move on. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to stop you. No, flow that's there. great. You're absolutely right, David. It's it's a tough day when you have to knowingly do something that's going to impact your livelihood, uh, but the consequence of not doing the right thing is often more than the consequence of doing the right thing. So it's better, you're better. It may hurt, it may be uncomfortable, but it really is the right thing to do. I just want to remind everyone that by the middle of the month, nearing the end of the month as we are now, you should have your key performance indicator report. You should know what your profit per (laughs) loan was last month. And I would ask everybody to tell me, what's your compliance cost per loan in basis points? Have you figured that out? I bet it's climbing, but you got to know these things. That's why we have to have business intelligence, not just financial reports, but business intelligence that drives into the LOS, drives into the accounting system, generates KPIs, so we know how many files can a processor process and have a nice dashboard that shows us all of these important things. And then just like we were, to, and then just like we were talking about when it comes to accountability, we have to have our compliance management system in place. And there was a song that I happened to be scanning across the radio the other day, and it's a song called "Blame It on the Night." It's like a guy asking a girl to come out with him and you know engage in probably inappropriate behavior, but it's okay because just blame it on the night. 
Well, you know, you know, we in the mortgage lending industry, we get we get asked to blame it on all kinds of things. Blame it on the realtor. They were they were going to not give us any more business unless we close this loan and this borrower clearly didn't qualify. But we're gonna we're gonna close it anyway because we're gonna blame it on somebody else. And there's so much finger pointing that goes throughout the organization. Blame it on the investor. Blame it on the realtor. Blame it on the originator that wanted to get it closed. The fact of the matter is that there's accountability for things that happen. And we have to be accountability for the decisions that we make. And like it or not, the CFPB is going to make us be accountable for compliance with regulations as a whole, not just TRID, not just all the disclosure requirements, but you have to have a third-party management system. You have to have a compliance management system with somebody on point who has effectively the, the authority of the CFO and even potentially higher to report up to the board to disclose challenges. So if a new branch wants to do something different and they call up the president and say, yeah, let's do that, you can't do that like that anymore. You have to run it through the finance group and the compliance group before any new things can be launched. That's not my, it's not my rule. This is what the CFPB is saying. Frankly, it's what commercial banks have been doing all my career, so this really isn't yeah. new for me. But it's new for mortgage companies, and we don't have a choice. So just accept it. Well, that's – I mean, I'm really getting this whole thing going. A lot of people have been listening to me as, as I they have been sounding benevolent towards the CFPB, like they're the – or the agency everyone wants to loathe and hate. You know, the reality is I'm not saying they're going about everything right and not signing up for everything and drinking the CFPB Kool-Aid, as one person said. Dave, sounds like you're drinking their Kool-Aid. And we know you like mm-hmm. it, and I know you're pro-company, but – you know, the reality is, Andy, you point out some good things. There's banks that have been doing some of this. The reason the CFP exists is because we weren't, as an industry, especially independent mortgage bankers, we're, as by and large, not following some good, prudent, best practices. They weren't discussing it. They weren't doing it. And that's really what this broadcast is about, is help bring those to the forefront, at least have a discussion on it, cause people to think about it. So for those of you who think I've gone soft on the CFPB, uh, let me just tell you that there's a reason it exists. That's the issue we're trying to address, is not sitting and condoning and saying everything they're doing is 100% the way it should be done. There are some things that it seems I'm big on less government, not more government. I'll Exactly. And, Dave, if, you're, if people are with organizations, if people are in an organization that is production-driven, where the tail wags the dog, so to speak, those are going to come to yeah. an end. I'm going to predict over the next 24 months, you cannot let a branch dictate the course of business. You have to have it coordinated through a corporate entity that controls things and runs it through a finance filter for profitability or point. runs it through a compliance filter. You can't and, you know, and then people it. say we're seeing this. You can't wait it. Yeah, we're seeing commercial banks and uh, community banks, uh, community banks specifically, start coming back into the market. It's because they have this discipline. And you that's an interesting prediction. And you know what? I, I don't take exception to that. I, I, I agree with you. Anyone who's letting production just absolutely run over operations, you're going to see those companies be severely penalized and possibly be driven out of business with uh, over the next uh, months. So it'll be interesting over the next couple of years. Interesting. I appreciate it. Yeah. We'll see. Can't wait to get to Logan Motoshami. Uh, he, he's got some great information, a great discussion around that. And as normal, you are on the other side of this issue with me, but it's going to be a good discussion. We're not that far apart as it turns out. So let's get into that discussion in just a minute. Folks, we're going to be right back with Mo- Logan Motoshami talking about should we be loosening credit standards? Is that the solution? Is it the key to the future of housing? Stay tuned. We're going to be right there. We're going to be on that in just a minute. 
Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Thank you, folks, for tuning in and being, making this a part of a way you get your information. So much to shop. You know, it's David, you get, you're, are you a little distracted today? Yeah, it's, you know, there's some days it comes together. There's just some days it doesn't. I want to introduce our guest today. He doesn't really need a, a much of an introduction. He is getting to be quite well known, especially in the circles of that are challenging some well-established standards or what has people, facts that are out there. You know, it's interesting who puts out facts. Like when uh, Andy says, uh, I love Prophet Doctor, when you quoted some statistics, you said, where did I get that? Well, does it matter? I, you know, I, it's a, I, I read it. I, you know. So the point is, you've got to get your facts right. And Logan is out challenging a number of people with some facts. Now, recently, as I said in the website, uh, looking at lending website, I said Joe Biden and uh, Vice President Joe Biden and Julian Castro, Secretary of HUD, have been out promoting home ownership for low-income families, encouraging lenders to loosen credit standards. Now, for me, I heard that, and I just go, here we go. We're, history's about ready to repeat itself. And I got called by Fox Business to go on. We did a broadcast. You want to watch the broadcast, that segment, you can go listen to it. We had too many guests and too little time to cover it, so I didn't get but more than one thought out. But I said on that broadcast, the problem is not the credit box. The problem is the regulation and poorly defined and not enough guidance in the regulations that are being out there. So that was where, really where I went with it. But it was really interesting, the feedback I got from many mortgage lenders who said, Dave, we are for loosening credit standards. We really think this is a good idea. And I go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. And so I reached out, and I started searching it, and I ran across Logan Motoshami's website, his blog. And if you haven't read it, start bookmark this one, folks. Logan, L-O-G-A-N, Motoshami, and I'll spell it for you right here, M-O-H-T-A-S-H-A-M-I. Dot com. Check it out because it's really interesting, some of the stuff he's writing. So I've talked enough about your introduction, uh, Logan, but it was really good to read yours because you made me feel good about my position because you say in here it is not about the credit box. It's about jobs, job growth, income growth, and that we really don't have enough buyers. So let's get it kicked off. Let's get started with that topic. And I want to go a bunch of other places with you as well. Logan, welcome to the broadcast. Pleasure to be here. Logan, you were talking about in your latest blog, and I encourage people to go read it, but you talk in here about loosening credit standards is not the issue. What is the issue? You know, I've had one grand 
thesis on housing since I started writing about housing economics in 2010, and it was that we simply won't have enough qualified home buyers in this cycle. It's mathematically impossible. You know, the economic cycle won't produce enough wages, liquid assets to to uh, have a booming housing market. Seven years of economic data has vindicated that thesis. But in those few years that I've been writing, I've also been writing that we cannot ease lending standards to financially engineer economic growth. This is a sickness. This is a disease in our society where if we immediately don't think something is happening, we, we're going to find a way to engineer it. And throughout the years I've been writing about this, that you know, uh, it's not about tight lending standards. It's about incomes and assets. And that's generally what I'm trying to relay out to the American people that don't allow these people to start talking about easing standards um, to, to show the lack of income growth and wages and like liquid assets. This is something that they will try to um, create just to stimulate growth, and that's not, that's not going to be the answer. We have to do it the right way, and it has to be with better-paying jobs, uh, people having more uh, liquid assets to put for down payments. We can't do it by reducing lending standards. Well, I, and I, I love this point because you say there's a lack of adequate monthly income. There's a lack of liquid assets. There's no financial bubble, really, uh, speak of. And the demographics are not favorable in this cycle. Let's talk a little bit by working backwards through that list, the demographics um, in this cycle. Explain what you mean by the demographics are not, in favor, are not working favorable. You know, if you, look at, if you look at housing data from 1996 to 2007, we saw a huge expansion of home ownership. Now, uh, you know, not all that demand was fake. You know, we had a lot of people, uh, uh, prime working age was getting ready to be able to buy homes uh, age 30 to 44. Dual income people were able to buy homes, and that was legitimate, and that was real. This last cycle, we don't have that kind of uh, young workers to the point to where they're married and have dual incomes yet. You know, come 2020 to 2024, that time frame, we'll have that group ready to go. But I think demographic economics doesn't get enough economic love. It doesn't really get talked about. So the people that thought that we would have this booming housing market were basically assuming that single young people were going to have the capacity to own a debt coming off the Great Recession. It just wasn't in the works. And I think that has, it's you know, yeah, is student loans the issue that's really behind this? That's one of the things that we were preparing for the Fox segment. We were going back and forth talking about student loan debt, and really what kicked this whole thing off, the, the Fox broadcast off, was there's a company out there that's now doing a new type of student loan financing for the parents. It gets the debt off the balance sheet of the students, and so they're graduating, uh, hopefully, with this new program debt-free, or at least with less debt. Is that from? and it isn't. I think student loan debt is more of a household formation problem where this is, you know, eventually does become mm. a home uh, ownership problem. But if you look at the data, you know, 70% of the student loan debt is 14000 and under. Uh, about, you know, less than uh, 3% is over 100 k So this kind of, this aggregate theory that, you know, all these young Americans have tons of debt, I wouldn't be so worried about those, you know, uh, those few individuals who are who have those big, big student loans because they're probably going to get a lot of income and they're going to be okay down the line. But it does propose a problem that 30% of all student loan debt are are had by people who never graduated college. And that's a household formation wow. problem. I think that, that's that's to me that's where you see a lot of young people living at home, a lot of people renting and, and dual uh, renting households. So, so that's where it impacts it. And then 
when they get to the point to where they want to buy, you know, you look at some of these applications, you see, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars just on student loans. That there becomes the issue in terms of owning a home because right now it's kind of you have like a little mini mortgage payment, but you don't have mortgage debt. So that when it gets to that stage, it becomes an issue. But the demographics just weren't there for the first time home buyer, and it's just not going to be there for a while because they're getting married later, they're having kids later. But if you look at married young couples, you know, the home ownership rate's not that bad. You know, let, let, let the kids grow. Let them, and I have this model, let them rent, date, date, marry, three and a half to six years after that, they tend to buy. <laughs> I like that. Right, cover that one more time. You want them to you, you let them go rent, through that. That's a- let them rent, let them date. Let them mate, let them marry. After marriage, and then a few years, and then they'll, and you know, you know, it's this is not some you know process that happens overnight. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's going to take some time. So, uh, yeah, twenty twenty to twenty twenty four. More time. Yeah, well, that, that's an interesting interest because you've been so right. I, I think for those that have not read your forecast for fourteen and fifteen, it's really capturing attention. I just want to put a little. Add. I want to get to the financial bubble part of it, and then we're going to get Joe and Alice and Andy in as we talk about liquid assets and monthly credit. We're going to get Alice and Joe and Andy in and problem with that. But the, uh, you've taken on some really strong voices, big voices, big names out there in a whole bunch of these issues related to this. Mark Zandi, uh, Lori Goodman, uh, you, you've really been poking them in the eye a little bit. I don't know if that's the right characterization, but not purposely to try to be an irritant, but Kate, Let's have an intelligent discussion. Talk briefly about that and then tie it into the financial bubble that there is none. Well, it's it's challenging authority that has never actually worked in the financial lending business. To my to my knowledge, neither Lori Goodman, Mark Sandy, or even Jed Klecko, who was the chief economist for Trulia, these people are advocating that tight lending is not uh, is holding the housing market back. And and I think out of pure frustration. You know, nobody understands why home sales aren't uh, are, are picking up pace with with how low interest rates are, and it's just all about incomes and assets. And what they try to they try to present a story without actually giving facts, because all of us who work in lending, you know, you know, we've had our mortgage companies since 1987. You know, FHA three and a half percent down, 620 minimum FICO score, 43 percent debt to income ratio. VA loans zero percent down, 620 minimum FICO. 60% debt-to-income ratios. GSC, gone from 5% down now to 3%, 620 minimum FICO scores. You can go up to 50%. These are not tight. And Mark Zandi's theory, which I've gone against for a while now, is that he says the pendulum has swung. No, the pendulum has never swung. We've always had very liberal lending standards in America in a very subsidized housing market. Whenever you subsidize a marketplace, the price tends to go up. It's deviating above Main Street economics. And now they're back at it again. They're trying their shenanigans. Hey, wait a second. We need everyone needs to own a home. You know, we need to start lowering credit standards. And, I mean, they're even talking to the wrong group of people. If they want to do that, go ahead, talk to the CFPB, talk to the Obama administration. Don't preach to people, banks, and then all of a sudden you allow people to take non-capacity debt again, and then they foreclose and they go, oh, it's the bank's fault, you know. You have to fight yeah, exactly. them now. You have to go after them now. You have to challenge them because when you break it down, and you are math, facts, and data. Okay, prove to me, tell me, show me why these core standards that have been here for years, what is so tight about them? And if you, if you ever ask them that question, you will never get an answer. 
because none of them have no. ever worked in the financial lending business. They have no right talking about this stuff. It's fascinating you go there. Let's talk briefly about I want to come back to the qualification standards in just a minute because I think uh, the prophet, Dr. Andy, has made some comments. He said, well, the statistics we have will allow you to do more because we have more data. I want to get to that in just a minute. Don't go there yet. I want to talk about the financial bubble, and there is there is no financial bubble is your third bullet on the current blog. Yes, and if you if you if we look at what happened in the stock market bubble, that was you know uh, prices deviated well below, below uh, above uh, fundamentals. You know the housing uh, bubble prices deviated well uh, above fundamentals. What do we have here now? You know we have very low interest rates. We had an energy boom that's slowly correcting itself right now. Um, you can't have a bust without a boom. You we're a two to two and a half percent GDP country. Wage growth has been very low. We still have emergency interest rate policy in year seven of the economic cycle with a 10-year below 2%. <laughs> yeah. Enough said. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're a perma-bearer or a perma-bull, the reality is that's the truth, is that we still have emergency interest rate policy. And the last time the rate curve has been this low, the 10-year, we're, we're like talking about 1941 to 1945. That's the last time we've had interest rates this low. There is no huge bubble that's going to burst because, you know, for people say, well, home prices are a bubble. Well, I can't come up with a thesis why home prices are going to collapse in, you know, 30% very soon in the next recession because these are qualified home buyers. This is the best loan profile we should have seen in a long time, and we should be very proud of that. You know, and one-third is cash, and you know, that's part. That's one of the problems is that we have a, a high level of cash buyers, high level of rich people buying. But the mortgage buyers, last year we had over 4 million people buy homes with mortgages, and they have the capacity to own a debt, and that is something we should be proud of, and that is something we should not try to fight against. Well, it, it spoke, speaks well to the MSRs, the mortgage servicing rights that are out there. These values should hold lowest, I mean, well-qualified borrowers, least amount of delinquency, low rates. So this this stuff should stick around for a long time. Let's get back into the qualifications. And I'm going to go to the profit doctor because I, he's my business partner, and we have some wonderful debates internally, Logan. And, Andy, you have said that we have new data, Dave. We have we actually have the ability to statistically do a better job of predicting than we have before. And therefore, we should loosen a bit more. At least that's what I heard, so you can correct me if I'm wrong and wrongly poorly representing what you were saying. And then bring that up, and then I'd like to hear Logan respond to that. Sure, well, I'll make two quick points. And, and I think your point is that we, we should go back and have Underwriting standards we did in the 80s, 28, 36 debt ratios, because those worked and those were safe. And my point is we have more data now about borrower behavior, and the FICO scores help us better predict borrower payment patterns more than just 28, 36. Because if you're in, in California, you know, you may, maybe you can afford a more expensive home. If, if you've got a, bunch, a great big car, then, I mean, they don't always work. And I think FICO gives us a better snapshot. I, I think the, the place where we need to talk about, and I, and I don't fundamentally disagree with the points we've been making, but what my, my challenge is is that your rank-and-file homeowner, when they go into a mortgage company, they don't know if they're dealing with an aggregator or if they're dealing with somebody who's selling direct to the agencies. I mean, they, or if they maybe go to a commercial bank, their portfolios. You, you get different credit standards if you go to a portfolio lender, you go to an agency direct, and I think we should stop there. 
These aggregators that are doing all the overlays is where the problem is because they're keeping people from buying a home. Someone who qualifies under the Fannie Mae standards doesn't get a house because the overlay says, nope, your FICO is not good enough or whatever the issue is, all because the, the aggregator is afraid of the repurchase risk. And I think that's where we've got to focus because that's the issue. And, and a borrower, rank-and-file customer, has no idea – if their decline is because of an overlay from Fannie Mae or some other issue that came up. So that's where my focus is. And I'm going to respectably disagree with that thesis for just two points right now. You can go up to 43% debt-to-income ratio without being an exception loan. And, you know, the CFPB put that qualified mortgage in, and we're doing 43 to 50% all day here in California. You know, it might be different in, in, in other states. The ability to get a loan is there. And the question I have to everybody is that why do you think that mortgage demand is the weakest we've ever seen post-World War II when you adjust to living and working population and how low interest rate is? And my thesis has always been we have a lack of income. We have a lack of assets. This has been in the works for 15 years. The last financial bubble hit that. You know, we were able to, uh, as a country, give credit out without income verification and uh, um, any type of down payment, now we're asking people to verify their incomes. We're asking for pay stubs. We're asking for W-2. We're asking for bank statements. And those Americans who could do that are getting the loans. Those who can't aren't. So are there people not able to get loans, you know, that should be getting loans? Yes. I would, I would argue that that's a very small portion of the society. Are self-employed buyers having a hard time not getting stated income loans? Yes. But, you know, we're talking about a group of people that usually put 20 or 30 or 40 percent down that used to use option arm loans, you know, at one and a quarter teaser rate back in the housing bubble. They don't have that anymore. So, I, you know, on the margins, those issues, I, I would be absolutely grateful if the United States government actually does an investigation on why um, there's such per, uh, per, uh, putbacks. What, what's the main reason? I would love that. I think if they want to, if they want to clear up and allow private money to come back in, you open an investigation on those reasons. Look at those reasons. Find out what they are. Open it up so people could understand it better. But I just think that that's, it's a very small group of people that aren't getting in. It's, it's, it's an irrelevant number. The, the grand big thesis is that we just do not have enough qualified home buyers because of income and assets. If you look at the jobs that were created in the first six years of the high school, I mean, in the economic cycle, it wasn't enough income in them. We had a lot of low wage, medium wage. We don't have that buyer profile. In time, it will happen. But to, to reduce standards from what they are now, nobody's ever gave me a reason. Nobody's ever said, what do you want to do? You want to lower credit scores low, even lower than what they are? Do you want to bring stated incomes? Nobody can give me an answer because the reality is you can't. And you'll sit here for a quarter of a century debating this thing over and over again, but the reality is some of these people want stated income loans and 0% down payments. They don't want to admit it now, but that's the only thing you have left to do on the core standards. If we want to talk about the repurchasing and the putback wars, that's absolutely. We should have an open investigation and transparency by the government on why this is happening. Yeah. But don't lose fact that this is, this is because of economics. 
And I think Andy goes to a good point. The lenders, the standards are there. It's the lenders because of the overlays, and the average consumer doesn't understand that. I want to get to Alice. Al, and to Joe, I want to get some commentary as we wrap up the broadcast because you, you, you have so many people out there that are borrowers, I mean, that are originators out there. I want to get your final thoughts on it. Alice, let's go to the documentation part of it. The, Logan brings up a great point. We have, we're documenting our loans again the way we did in the old days. Is that the problem? You know, should we give up that part of it, Alice? Oh, no, absolutely not. I'm in full agreement with Logan on there. There's no room to change what we took so long to get back. You have to remember, I'm an old 80s underwriter, you know, before credit scores, BC. <laughs> so I, I think I'm hitting on or understanding now Logan's main point is it's too small of a portion. So when Andy and I talk about, and Andy, I don't mean to speak for you, but when we talk about, you know, there are good non-traditional credit borrowers out there. There are, There is more room in that 620 to 640 credit score pace with uh, a more, I don't know, FHA focus, I guess, in the income calculation itself. We're not trying to reduce documentation, but when we say within the credit bucket or within the overall core standards of product, credit, income, assets, collateral, and docs, there's not a lot to work with, and so, you know, other than maybe how do we look at income being stable, um, so I, I think that's the bottom line is where we see a market, you think it's too small of a market to have any impact, um, and I think loan originators today would say, you know what, if I can get two first-time home buyers out there, isn't there a measurable trickle-down to that? So that's, I think, what people are looking at is we're missing that first domino. So even if it's just a small impact, can it have a ripple effect? That's my question for you. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think the the. I mean, we, we're we're running at 30% first-time home buyer metrics. That's about 10% below what the historical average is. Those people can get the loans uh, because they have the income and assets. I I I 100% disagree with the thesis that tight lending is preventing these people from getting loans. Uh, even with the CFPB, even with the overlays, even I I, I discredit that thesis because when you look at this economic cycle, we just came off the Great Recession. We had so many, We still have so many people that are uh, don't have enough equity to sell from their homes, and that's another layer of mortgage buyers that aren't in there. Because if you look at the affordability index, it's based on a 20% mythical buyer that has a starting debt-to-income ratio of 25%. Well, if you want to go off of that affordability index, that that person who still owns their house needs about 28 to 33% equity to sell their house to move up and buy. So I, I just think that the, the coming off the Great Recession and going back to my original core thesis, why not having enough? We won't have enough qualified home buyers. There's so many other variables to this. You know, not enough equity. You know, uh, when your job is recovered, you won't make it as much as you were before. We don't have this financial bubble creating fake demand where you know people are getting paid more than they deserve. These are all things that, when you take it in big aggregate terms. Those are the things that are holding housing back, and we shouldn't make the mistake. And I don't think we can, because to be honest with you, I don't think there's, there's any appetite to bring stated income loans back for wage earners. I don't think there's any appetite for bringing right. 0% loan down back. So I don't think it will happen. But I'm just questioning, you know, Ben Bernanke, Janet Yellen, Mark Zandi, Lori Goodman, uh, Jed Kleckel, when they say that the credit box has to offer. Well, then tell me exactly. What do you want? What do you right. want to see? And they can't do it because none of them actually know, because this is not what they've done for a living for years, let alone have worked on one loan in their life. So that's just where I'm coming from. I'm here just to provide balance to that equation, because us in the business, we have the moral obligation to do this. 
now that we, we have a voice to be heard. So we don't allow that sickness of trying to financially engineer a better economic cycle through lowering standards to this point. I want to get over to Joe real fast to get some closing comments. You've listened to this discussion. You have seen so many cycles, as as we all have, all of us on the broadcast are been around this industry for decades. Your thoughts, Joe, on all this? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, seems like people are looking for quick fixes, or, or the government is anyway. And uh, yes, uh, the quick fix should not come in the form of, as we've been talking about, uh, uh, un, uh, unacceptable underwriting standards. Maybe it should come from, as we also talked about, changing the risk and reward dynamics to the producer. Uh, you know, we're just a producer of mortgage widgets, and and uh, the risk can be too great, and it does cause people to not qualify that maybe should qualify, and it does cause inefficiencies in the process out of fear. And uh, if there's a quick fix to be had, I believe that's where it should be. I want to thank you so much uh, for all of you participating in this. This is an important discussion. Logan, I just want to continue to compliment you and lift you up as an example to taking on those that are out there, the big voices and the you know the guys with the big platforms uh, and the podiums to speak from. You have taken them on as a loan originator in Southern California, and you've done it through asking the right questions. It's not telling people. And I think that whole process, Socratic process of asking the right question, is the key to any successful debate and, and bring, especially if it's based on facts and uh, the way you're going about it. So I just want to say thank you for having your voice out there, the way you're going about it, taking on those that uh, have have got some positions that I'm now, as a result of you, challenge, are, I'm reexamining all that. And that's really why I want you on. I want people paying attention to your blog that you write. I think you're doing a brilliant job of it. And I hope to give your voice more of a platform just with this radio broadcast and hopefully in a greater way. So thank you, Logan, for what you're doing, friend. Thank you much for your time. Uh, it's always fun to have you on, folks. We appreciate you being a part of the broadcast. Looking at the clock, we ran a little bit over this week. Um, uh, today's broadcast, but hopefully you enjoyed the content. I tell you, go check out the website, get involved, love to hear your thoughts, emails, shoot me stuff over regarding the discussion with Becky Walls that called me about. Alice commented on about QC managers being named in lawsuits. Uh, very interesting. Also, welcome your feedback and everything, and tell us some of the stuff that you'd like us to be covering on this broadcast. Good to be with you. Have a great week, everybody, and look forward to seeing you back here. We're going to have Mike Frattentoni on to discuss uh, his latest MBA predictions, where they see the market going. And then we've got to get Logan on right after that again to come back and comment on all that. So it's good to have you with us. Have a great week, everybody. See you next week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Quoline, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 